All right, so Colossians is where we're going to be. We've been over the past, I don't know, I think this is our 10th, 10th week in Colossians as we wrap it up uh, today. It's one of Paul's letters, but I would say for, for several of us in this room, um, you know, it might have to think a little bit back. I know, like, I'm, I'm starting to hit that point. I turn 40, and I remember when my, I turned 40 later this year, and I remember when my mom turned 40, and it was like, our last name's Hill. They made fun of that, like, over the hill and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I remember, like, laughing, too, because, I mean, it's like, you are over the hill, Mom. You're, you're 40 now. And, uh, but, like, as I get there, and you're like, and I start talking to people, or even some of the, some of the families in our church, you're like, man, you're like, you don't remember 9-11? You don't remember these things? Like, like, they're like, nope, I was two years old. I'm like, I was in college. And then you're laughing. Some of you are laughing at me, and you're like, okay, okay, kiddo, uh, kind of thing. But, you know, no, no matter where you are, I think for most of us, um, when we were to, if we were to look back and remember when we were teenagers, maybe when you were 18 years old or 17 years old, and you were going like, man, what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to accomplish? Maybe you have big dreams, vision of what life would look like in front of you. And you're, you're really excited or maybe you're anxious or worried or nervous. And you're like, who am I going to marry? Or maybe some of you, I think some, several of you in this, in this room even met your, uh, you're like your childhood sweetheart. You like met them when they were like 10 or something. But, but um, I did not. I met mine like I was almost out of college. I was, I was, very, I was very blessed. I was like almost missed that one. I'm so thankful uh, for Amanda, my wife. But um, for most of us, you know, we, we, we try to remember. We try to remember back to when we had our whole life in front of us. And we're like, you know, I want to make my life count. I don't know if you've ever asked that kind of question about yourself. Like, how can I make a difference? You know, maybe, maybe I'm an accountant. Maybe I dig ditches. Maybe I'm a stay-at-home mom. How can I make my life count? I remember when I was 18, I was asking those questions, like, what am I going to do with my life? And God started to get a hold of my heart back then. But you know, you know, for a lot of us, you know, maybe there's some regret there. You're like looking back when you were 18 and you're like, man, I made some really poor decisions over the next decade, potentially. And you're going, you know, maybe, maybe it went a little sideways. Maybe you had a, a marriage that went a little sideways or a career path that ended in heartache, poor health choices, and so on. I think for all of us, there might be some different regrets in our life. I know for me, I look back over some things and I go, man, I wish I would have done this. Or, man I, I, man, I made a poor choice here. But here's, I think the question that I want to put in front of you is, how can you make your life count even today? Don't worry about the regrets of the past. Don't worry about the choices you've made before. But how from even this day, even July 3rd, 2022, how can you this year moving forward into the next decade of your life or however long God gives you, how can you make your life count? count. And maybe that's not true for some of you yet. You know, you're still searching and wondering if you want to follow Christ. Or, but for most of us, I would say you're trying to remember when you had your whole life in front of you and you were asking these big questions. But I want to just, instead of asking that from the past, I want to ask it from today. How can you make your life count? I love how Paul ends this great, wonderful book of Colossians. And oftentimes when we come to an end of a book, you know, as, at least as a pastor, you're like, all right, how am I going to, how can I teach on this? Because it's like a lot of quick hitters. It's a lot of like, he just says this random things and he might, he might just like one point after the other, or then he main, maybe mentions a bunch of names at the end of the letter that he's thankful for. And, and you know, as a pastor, you're like, how can I make this work and, and, and be faithful to 
the text. Well, this morning, I believe Paul gives us a clear picture of what it looks like to make our lives count. And I want to read this together. I want to read the whole chapter, the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 2. So if you have a Bible in front of you or a device or something uh, to look at God's Word, we'll look at it together. So starting in verse 2 from chapter 4 of Colossians. Paul, writing here this letter from a prison cell, says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. But notice this prayer. He says that I, here's the prayer, pray this for me, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then he gives his final greetings in the book. He says this, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. I love how he says this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the message on this, but remember, if you're not, if you're not familiar with this, in Philemon, the book of Philemon, Paul is writing uh, to Philemon about Onesimus, who was a slave, who had been a runaway slave from Philemon, and he was writing to accept him back. And notice what he calls him, though, in this verse. He says, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Saying he's not just a slave anymore, he's a brother in Christ with you. And he says, they, te- they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have re- received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for, of, for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And then he ends this letter this way. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You see, Paul is in a prison cell. And he's saying, remember my chains. And he's given his final greetings. He is, this book, of probably of all the books of the Bible, are the most Christ-centered in its writings, giving us the high supremacy and preeminence of Christ in all of creation. And Paul has been writing and reminding uh, this small church in this small city of Colossae about this. And he's saying, Paul, re- or church, remember Christ Don't forget Christ. Put your hope in Christ alone. And over and over again, he's been emphasizing this aspect. And here, as he's winding down this letter and as he's he's encouraging the church, he gives them these final instructions. 
And I believe from it we can learn a lot about how to live a life of purpose. How to live a purposeful life. And notice what his first point and his first focus is this. He says this. This is in your notes as well. Begin with prayer. It starts here in his aspect of like you have a relationship with Christ. You are, as he's described to the Colossian church, you're in Christ. Here he's saying like if you want to live on mission for Christ, start it with, begin it with prayer. But how, have you ever noticed how difficult prayer is? Isn't it interesting? Why is prayer so difficult? Why is it so hard to be consistent in it? You know, maybe you've heard and memorized verses throughout Scripture and maybe through, uh, throughout your life where you're told, hey, cast your cares on Him because He cares <clears throat> for you. You don't, have, you don't have another verse. You don't have because you haven't asked in my name. You know, we, we've heard not to be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. We maybe know these verses, but for some reason, many of us, if not most of us, don't really pray. And what I mean by that is for a lot of us, we only pray when either we're desperate in a real ritualistic way, maybe it's a, it becomes a rhythm, and maybe a healthy rhythm for some, I hope, but for others, it might be just like, all right, we just, it's dinner time, we're supposed to pray, so we pray, or here's the Lord's Supper, I don't want to get sick from, from my sin, so I'm going to repent of my sin right now before I take of the Lord's Supper, or maybe, you know, we get a little more serious with our prayers when trial or difficulty comes, but why are we not consistent? If we really believe that God is God, that He is the sovereign Lord of all creation, and He tells us to ask Him things, to give our requests to Him, to cast our anxieties on Him, to put our requests before Him, to pray and talk to Him, why wouldn't we? I think it's interesting because I think one of the, 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 the people that you see who pray the most are probably families, you know, I'm thinking of July 4th and our freedom, and I'm sure there's I mean, there's countless families who are praying desperately and persistently for their loved ones who are off at war. They're serving our nation. And so, you know, probably most those family members are the ones who are the most persistent in their, pra- in their prayers. Why? Because they understand the stakes are high. It's life or death. They very easily could be killed. They could easily be killed in a, for those loved ones and different ones who are serving in an area where there's danger or risk. We pray for those people. I mean, like, I remember, my, I remember hearing the stories of my uncle who was in um, Vietnam War, and I've read a lot of his letters because they were, I mean, they're writing letters back and forth with my mom. My mom was younger, um, and her parents, and they would write back and forth, and they would, and my mom would tell the stories of how they'd pray and pray for, for my uncle Steve as for his protection because they were concerned for his, his well-being, his life. But think about it. I mean, if we know Scripture, we know that we have an adversary, the devil, who roars around like a, a lion seeking whom he can devour. The stakes are actually higher. Why would we not go to the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction? Why would we not talk to him? We should pray. But the question is, how? And in this context of this verse, talking about living on mission, how should we be praying? What should we be praying for? And then how could we be praying? And first is this. We pray, if we're going to begin with prayer, pray earnestly. We pray earnestly. Be, the, the, the wording here in the, in the Greek is this. It's a devotion. Some of your translations, maybe even in front of you, use the word devoted. It's a devotion to prayer. It's devoted. It's an unrelenting persistence 
in prayer. Here's the problem though, right? Prayer requires this of us. It requires discipline. How many of you have found yourselves drifting in your thoughts during a prayer time? Maybe at night before bed, you're thinking about some different things and you're wanting to pray for those things. Before you know it, you found yourself (laughs) waking up the next day, right? Uh, Isn't that how many of our prayer lives are? Um, Man, what again, like I think about this, this, there was a, a family, uh, so when I served at Calvary Church in Charlotte uh, for almost seven years, there was this, so every, our pastoral team is about 10 pastors, and every Monday morning we would meet together, and, and on that Sunday, on the Sunday of the worship service, that people would turn in their cards, maybe a connect card, kind of telling more information about them, but also there'd be a place to put a prayer request. And so every Monday morning, we would meet together, and we would gather the cards, and we would just We'd all pray around the table, pray for about an hour or so, uh, praying for the different requests that had come in that Sunday. And I still remember, I was there, I think, six and a half years, and I, I don't remember many weeks where there wasn't this one specific card from a grandparent who had listed out every single one of her grandkids' names. I mean, every single one of their names, praying for their, a lot of, most of them, their salvation. And I remember, I mean, we would, every, every Monday morning, there it is again, there's this lady who's written out the names of her family, and she's just praying for them. And I found it a joy and a privilege to pray with her for this. And I still remember about four years into this, uh, one time we got the, the same card as usual, the names, but then she also had a little praise and said one of her grandchildren had put her faith in Christ for salvation. And it was like, man, we, I think around the table we all kind of gave a little celebration because we've been praying with her the persistent prayers of people. It was such an admiration. I mean, how many of us, though, when it comes to the persistent and earnestly devoted in it, do we give up so quickly? We might pray for something. I mean, right now, some of you probably, there's some things that you want to be praying for and you want to be persistent in. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's work situation or your children or your grandchildren, loved ones, work, whatever it is. How often are we consistently and earnestly devoted to praying for these things? So often we give up. I love verse 12. I read it a second ago, but look at it again. In verse 12, listen to how Epaphras, who would have helped plant this church in Colossae, listen to what it says, Paul writes here in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, notice what he's doing. He says this, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I mean, it's a a struggle. And it's not just what he doesn't mean there is just it's literally a struggle, like, man, it's hard to pray for these people. No, he's devotedly, persistently praying for this church that he had planted, he had moved on. I think when I was studying for this, it made me think, like, how often am I praying for churches still that I served at and praying for those ministries to flourish, to, to, for God to, to continue the work that was started there or was continued there. How often are we praying even for those people? Maybe we move to another area. How often are we still praying for the ministries that we were devoted to for years and praying for those things? Here, Epaphras is struggling on their behalf, even though he's not there anymore. In Luke 18, Jesus told us this. He told his disciples a parable encouraging them to always pray. And he gave this, I think, great illustration of this. He's basically this widow uh, kept bothering this judge until he finally did something about it. 
And think about this. The way Jesus was using this illustration, he gives this illustration of this judge and this widow would not stop coming after this judge and saying, hey, do this, do this, do this, would just kept being persistent. And Jesus used that to illustrate a point on prayer and being persistent in prayer. And, and here's the, I think that's so cool about this. Jesus is saying, bother me with your request. If you have young kids, how often do your kids, quote, bother you, <laughs> right? They come with you with requests. Man, my kids are persistent, especially at nighttime. It's crazy, right? It's like it's bedtime routine, and then here they come to the door. Dad, will you lay with me? I'm like, no, nah, not tonight. <laughs> Walks away. Two seconds later, Dad, Will you lay with me over and over again until finally it's like, all right, it'll be faster if I just go lay with them for five minutes and they'll be good, right? Like it's that persistent, and that's literally what Paul, Jesus is saying. He's saying, be persistent, bother me. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe is saying, bother me, not literally like you're going to actually bother me, but come with me earnestly and persistently uh, in prayer. And he's inviting you to do that. The second way, how should we pray is this, is we do it watchfully. He says it here in our text as well, as he continues, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. We're to be alert, knowing that temptations lurk everywhere. We are often tempted to think that we are talking to the air, aren't we? Sometimes maybe you've been tempted, you're like, am I really even talking to someone? Is this just me talking to myself? Am I talking to a, a, a wall here? We're maybe tempted to think that it doesn't even really work. Maybe you've prayed for something and it didn't come through. The, the result came differently than you were hoping would happen. He's saying to this, be alert, be watchful, and pray in such a way that is to expect God to answer and to show up. In Mark 14, 34 and 38, Jesus told his disciples, he says this, stay here and keep watch, to watch and pray so that they won't fall into temptation. Interesting that he says that that be watchful in prayer. Stay alert. Be watchful in prayer. It wasn't like they were supposed to be on guard and Jesus is going to be surprised when, when Judas was bringing the Roman, uh, a Roman uh, army to come and arrest him. I mean, that, that wasn't what he was after there. He was being watchful in your prayer. Be, don't, don't fall asleep, right? And that's exactly what happened. We're too called to be watchful in prayer. The third one is this. How should we pray? We pray thankfully. We pray with a thankful heart. He, again, Paul is saying that right here in our text. He says, um, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You see, this kind of prayer gets your mind off of yourself and back to God. It brings contentment and peace. Actually, just the other day, my kids were asking me, why do you, why do you say thanks so much in your prayer? Why do you keep saying God's blessing? And I got to, it was a good little teachable moment with them and explaining, like, look, we, we thank God because we recognize that it comes from Him. It is His blessings that He gives. It's not just about what we've earned and what we've deserved. It's God has been so gracious to us. We come with a thankful heart. Being thankful is a change in perspective. Being thankful is a change of perspective. The, 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 if you read the Pauline letters over and over again, and I think I've said this often in the New Testament, if you read Paul's writings, what you will notice, and I, maybe you do it sometime on your own time of study of God's Word, is look for how often he talks about thankfulness and gratitude. Over and over again, you see him using that word and that wording in describing things about God and, and how we should act is be thankful. So here's the question is, is how are we to pray? Or, or excuse me, what are we to pray for? What are we to pray for? Look at this. 
look at this. This is your, your, your point here, your second point here. Opportunities, or sorry, under this, what are we to pray for? It's opportunities to share the gospel. So what are we to pray for? We're to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And look what he says. Paul says it right here. He says this, verse 3, at the same time, so he's saying continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Verse 3, at the same time, here's his request. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul is, I mean, think about this. Paul is sitting in a prison cell, potentially chained to a Roman guard, sitting there, and he's in prison, and he's, uh, his request and what he's asking people to pray for is not, hey, can you pray that God will release me from prison? Pray for, my, uh, for me to be set free so I can come to see you, so that I can continue the ministry. No, he doesn't ask for freedom from the chains. He says, pray this, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's praying for opportunities to share the gospel, even if it means to this Roman guard next to him, even if it's to another convicted felon or whatever in the prison. If he's to uh, witness to him, he's saying, God, help me and church, pray for me for opportunities to share the gospel. He didn't care if he was in prison or not in prison. He wanted more opportunity to share the gospel with others. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, Paul says this as well. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a, notice this, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. He's like, this door has been opened. There's a lot of adversaries. And just help us, pray with us for these open doors, these opportunities to share the gospel. We find out in Acts 20 that Paul was able to stay three years in Ephesus teaching and admonishing the church day and night as he was praying and asking this church in Corinth to pray for this open door that had been given to him with all these adversaries. And he, sure enough, they prayed, and for three years he was able to minister. So what are we to pray for? We pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Second is this, when God opens doors, pray for clarity and gospel witness. Pray for clarity and gospel witness. I think this is interesting because this is Paul. <laughs> this is Paul writing. And look at verse 4. He says, that I may make it clear. He's asking for them to pray for him. He says, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul is so passionate and concerned about the gospel, getting to the lost, that he prays and asks the believers to pray that he will make the gospel clear as he shares it. Think about that. I mean, that's Paul. Paul, who wrote Romans, if you've ever read Romans, I mean, you're like, good night. He was pretty clear, abundantly clear on the gospel. And most people who are sharing the gospel are using the Romans road as, as a pathway for sharing the gospel. I mean, this is Paul. I mean, I don't think he needs clarity. Why would he need clarity? And if he needs clarity, I'm pretty confident I need clarity. And he's asking the church, pray that when I do get these opportunities to speak, that I speak it in a clear and accurate way, that I'd be Christ-exalting and centered in the gospel witness. And if Paul needs God's help in being clear in gospel witness, I need it a thousand times over. Um, one of my favorite, uh, I would, man, I wish, you know, we, we live in such a day where we have audio and video of all the, the pastors and preachers of our day and over the past several decades even. 
Uh, one that I wish that I would get to hear is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, I get to read, I'll read, I have all of it, I have almost every one of his sermons uh, online, and um, I enjoy reading them. And you're like, man, I can't imagine if he can write like this, what was he communicating like when he was preaching? Because he was called, I mean, they call him the Prince of Preachers. And so, I mean, his ministry in England had grown immensely. I mean, thousands of people were coming to Christ, and the church was growing, and people would come. I mean, it's like what people do, right? They have these conferences and tell you, hey, here's how, how you want to grow your church, all these kind of things, right? And so here, Charles Spurgeon, I mean, people, the word's getting out about th- this church, and it's booming. And so people would come, and they would ask him, like, hey, what's the secret to, of your success or this ministry? And here's what he would do. He would take them to the basement of their church, where there were hundreds of people on their knees in fervent prayer. There was praying before and even during the service. And Spurgeon called these prayer gatherings the church's boiler room. It was like the engine room for their ministry. He said, this is, when you want to know the secret, it's hundreds of people on their knees praying for God's, for opportunities to share the gospel, for clarity in gospel witness, and that people would be sharing the hope of the gospel. I mean, hear me on this. We need God's power. We need his power, not just for our church, but for our lives, for our week, that God would give us these opportunities to share the gospel, that he would give us clarity in our gospel witness. I I would love for you to pray for me, that he would give me opportunities to share the gospel, that he would give me clarity when I speak or when I share the gospel, when I talk about Jesus and what he's done. That we'd be praying a people, that like, we'd pray for one another for open doors and for clear clarity in our speech as we talk about the gospel. And here's the question, are you, are you persistent and earnest in your prayer? Are you watchful in it? Are you thankful? Are you devoted in it? Are you praying for opportunities for the gospel? Or is it just kind of here, a hit or miss prayer and just asking for God's help with a certain situation or asking God to bless you with, uh, as my kids may would try to pray even still, I'm still working on my parenting and pastoral skills with my kids, but they, we passed a Lamborghini the other day again and they're like, man, I want a Lamborghini. I'm like, you're not going to have a Lamborghini. I'm sorry. You know, even if you had enough money, we're not going to have a Lamborghini. It's, worth, it's not worth it. Um, you know, you might be praying for those kind of things. I don't know, but here's the point. He's saying pray, and Paul's saying pray with me for these things, even while he's sitting in a prison so, so if we're to make our life count, we say, you know, I want to make my life count. I mean, start with praying, asking God to give you opportunities. Be a, say, God, I give you my life. I'm going to live, I live my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. I want to pursue you. And so you just start asking, you start praying for opportunities. You pray for gospel witness and clarity in it. But notice this next step. I think this is an important step is this, is take advantage of the open doors that God gives you. Man, we miss out on so many opportunities because we're lazy or we're so self-focused that we don't pay attention to the needs right in front of us or right next door to us. Take advantage of open doors. Paul tells us how to take advantage of these open doors. He says this, he says, do it with wise behavior. I mean, this is exactly what he's, as he walks through this passage, he says, verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. The way you act matters. The way you work. We talked about this last week as we were looking at the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four. Of, like, your work matters. How you work, how your work life is, it matters. God has given you the gift of work. Are you working heartily for the Lord and not for the, uh, the, 
the pleasure of man or the, the praise of man. He says, walk in wise behavior and walk in a wise manner. Are you making wise choices? You know, when you go off to work this week, are you even thinking about opportunities for the gospel? Or are you even paying attention to the thought that like, hey, I'm going to come across people who are going to pay attention to me and how I work or how I talk or how I act. Paul's saying with wise behavior, we have to be wise with our behavior. I remember when I took my um, son, uh, I think it was a a little over a year ago, we went skiing and I took him on this trip for Passport to Purity and it was talking about um, purity and having a conversation with him. He's getting ready to be a teenager and having this kind of the, the, the sex talk, I guess you would say. And it was like super uncomfortable, of course, you know, you're trying to talk to you. You're like, all right, I'm just going to do it. You know, we're just going to talk about it. And it's going to be okay. <laughs> and so, but on this trip, we, we were talking and, and there's, a, there's a great resource. I'd encourage it to you. It's Passport to Purity. Um, and thankfully, you don't have to do too much talking. There's a, you just ride in the car <laughs> and let the CD do the talking, right? <laughs> it's great. It's great. Uh, and then you just get to answer the questions, and that's the worst part, right? Answering all the questions. But um, in one of the video, one of the the, the talks uh, in lessons in the in the study, it was they were talking about this college students who who had had pursued Christ, and they go and they were they were. Um, they were brought apart, they, they, they joined this fraternity, and a part of the initiation, these three Christian guys had a choice to make. They were supposed to get in front of the crowd, act crazy, and down a whole bottle of champagne right in front of them. And each one of them had a choice in that moment how to act. And they had a choice, and it was interesting to see how each of them handled it. And each of them said, you know what, I'm not going to, in this moment, I mean, I'm like 18 years old. I shouldn't even be doing this in the first place. And then go crazy and act stupid in front of all these people. Instead, I'm not going to do this. And they got up there, and they just walked across. And like everyone booed them and all this stuff. But they stood, they stood strong in a moment of potential witness, an opportunity of being a witness. Now, sometimes you'd be like, well, it's maybe an, even a negative witness. They're just going to look on them like they're idiots or whatever. But here's the question, are you acting and living in the fear of the Lord? I mean, Proverbs explains that that's where wisdom lies, is in the fear of the Lord. And if you want to take advantage of open doors that are open right in front of you to you, we must start with wise behavior. How are you acting? How are you working? How are you interacting with coworkers and the people right around you in your neighborhood? Look at verse 6. He says this, let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. So if we're going to take advantage of open doors, we do it with wise behavior and also with gracious words and salty speech. Gracious words and salty speech. You know, our speech must always be gracious because the gospel is all of grace. It is God's gift to us. This should be pretty obvious. You know, if you're consistently negative, speaking harshly or angry, you probably will end up with little friends. Uh, But even more important, you won't attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How you talk directly reveals what's in your heart. When we talk and when we function, we act, people see what's really going on. They get to see the real you eventually. The longer someone is around you and with you, the more they get to see who the real you is, not just the, the one who's putting on a show. How you talk directly reveals what's in your heart. James specifically talks about this in our scriptures. But Paul also says that our speech should be seasoned with salt. I like this wording here. It's, you know, here, here's how I think can best 
help you understand what this looks like. You know, uh, I've been blessed with opportunities to counsel and talk with uh, individuals who want to know what marriage is like. And so the pre-marriage counseling or with, uh, when working with high school students and then college students, some, and they're, and they're wanting to talk about marriage. And what's interesting is you'll, you'll get different answers from different spouses if you were to ask them. You know, you go and talk to a spouse and you ask them, well, some spouses would say, my husband is the most lazy, loud, and obnoxious human being I've ever known. He makes weird noises while he sleeps uh, and is such a drain. They're like, you don't want to be married. Just enjoy life. Like, I mean, I've, I've literally have heard people tell, give that kind of advice. Like their marriage was worthless. And so they're just saying all these negative, or they just talk negatively about their spouse. But have you ever talked to a spouse who, you know, when you ask a similar question to them, they talk so lovingly about their spouse. They speak of how they are so blessed with such a kind, compassionate, and understanding person. You see, when you're around this person, they can't help but talk about them. You see, the second couple has that salty speech. They spoke in such a way that it made it, the thought of marriage, attractive. They talked about them and talked about this, their spouse in such a loving way that it's like, man, I want a relationship like that too. You see, what is, our, what is it about our speech as followers of Jesus that makes it attractive? When you're talking about your Savior or talking about God and what God has done in your life, is what or, what, or, or do they only hear the negatives? Or they only hear all the, like, God didn't answer this prayer. God, man, it just seems like everything, God's just after me all the time. I feel like God just is always uh, bringing difficulty my way. I mean, if you hear that all the time, what do you think? People aren't going to be very attracted to that. But what do they hear when you're like, man, in the hardest of times, I can't tell you how hard it was. I don't even know how I would have ever gotten through this situation or that situation if it wasn't for God. If it wasn't for knowing that he was with me. It wasn't easy. It was a challenge. I mean, or maybe you were a parent and you're like, man, I had to deal with a very difficult child, a wayward child, and we just prayed for this person. It was really hard, and I just kept trusting the Lord and praying for them and trying to give them wise words and counsel, and it was really hard, but God was with me. You see, that is attractive, and see how even in the workplace, even in in, in how you can take an advantage of an open door is through, obviously, wise behavior, but also in how you speak. Are you gracious with your words? Do you speak life, not death, with your words? Do you have salty speech, attractive speech? And so here's what Paul wraps up in his teaching in this chapter on. He says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, verse 5, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. So, notice this, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, we, we have an open door. We're trying to behave in a Christ-like way in the environment God has placed us in. We're speaking with gracious words and salty speech, and we're doing all this for this. Now the opportunity comes so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You do these things so you will know how to answer each person. Listen, I can tell you the content of the gospel 
God created humans, right? I mean, he creates mankind. They rebelled against him. Because of this separation, man could no longer have a relationship with God. But here's the great part is this. But God, in his loving kindness and mercy, sends Christ Jesus to enter our humanity, to take on human flesh, to live the life that we should have lived perfectly, sinless, but couldn't live. We sinned. We fell short. Jesus comes. He lives the sinless life. And then he's put on a cross to, to pay the price for our sin. He pays the debt. And this is what I love about this last words of Jesus. He says, it is finished. He had come and he would completed what he came for, to be the ransom, to be the payment for our sins. Sinful man nailed him to this cross, but in the darkest hour, his dying breath gave us hope for eternal life. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the the grave three days later, conquering death so that we could have life. Scripture tells us that if we confess our sins and believe, we rest, we put our hope in Christ alone, we too can have eternal life. This is a free gift. This this is what's so incredible about it. It is a free gift. It is grace. It is all of grace. He says, it's not you earn it. You've done this. I'll accept you. He says, it is my gift to you. You just receive it. And how do you receive it? You receive it by faith in Christ, in what he's done for you. Listen, here's the point is this. You maybe know the gospel But you need to learn how to communicate the gospel. You communicate it through your life, but you also communicate it when that open door comes. God gives you the open door. All of a sudden, someone at your work has had a hard week, and he comes in broken and doesn't know what he's going to do next, or she doesn't know what she's going to do next, has no idea. But guess what? You can offer them hope. You can offer them, you maybe could say, you know what, I was in a similar place at one point in my life where everything seemed to be falling apart, and I didn't know where to turn, but Christ revealed himself to me. I put my faith in Christ alone because he paid the price that I couldn't pay. And you're able to share the gospel. You see, you have to take advantage of the opportunities God gives you. If you're going to live on mission, you take those opportunities when they're given. And here's the point. I love how even the ending of this book in chapter 4, he gives us examples of a bunch of people who lived this kind of life. Epaphras, struggling in his prayers for these people. You have Jesus who is called Justice. These men are the only, the only Jewish men among them that are workers for the kingdom of God. They have been, he says, they've comforted me. They've comforted, him. They've comforted Paul. They've encouraged Paul. Uh, Tychicus, he's like, he'll tell you all about my activities. He mentions uh, uh, all these different ones. He mentions Demas and Luke. I I love how he mentions even uh, John Mark in his writings. Because if you remember, even John Mark in the book of Acts had had abandoned him at one point. And it became a split where he and Silas went a different way and Barnabas and Mark went another way. But now Paul's writing and saying, Mark has been a comfort to me. And, and during my last even days that he didn't know were necessarily his last days. You see, this can be our life too. We live it in light of the gospel. And listen, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to share the gospel. Here's the first point. <laughs> Begin with prayer. Ask the Lord to give you the words. I can't tell you how many times where I felt like God through a quiet time in the morning, gave me exactly what was needed in a conversation later that day. 
I, I mean, I seriously don't, I can't count on hands, fingers, all that kind of stuff. How many times God has taken something that if I had not maybe read my Bible that morning, I wouldn't have had that fresh on my mind in a conversation that came up later that was perfectly applicable for that. You see, begin with prayer, look at scripture, know it, because I mean, that's the importance of this passage too, is to know your Bible so that you may know how you ought to answer each person when they come with their questions, with their doubts, with their confusion. I think of even, I want to end with this, I think of even the Ethiopian eunuch. And one day, in the book of Acts, we get this story where this man is reading from a scroll. He's riding on his chariot, he's riding around, he's, he's reading on the scroll, and he's reading, and he has, he's reading about the suffering servant. He's reading about Christ uh, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53. He's reading this, and God sends a man to him, and this man shows up, and, the, and here's the question this guy asked him that day. The Ethiopian says, he says, who is this about? He doesn't know. He's like, I'm reading this, and I have no idea. Now, what happens if the man who, who is now talking to this guy has an open door has been given to him? If he didn't know what Isaiah 53 was about, or if he didn't know how to answer, what he'd be like, I don't know, man, give me, give me 10 minutes. <laughs> give me, let, me, let me Google that. Let me get back with you tomorrow. No, he would have missed the opportunity. The opportunity would have been gone. The door would have been opened and then closed shut. But he was prepared that day, and he was able to open up the scriptures and show him that, hey, this is Jesus. Jesus is actually the one that this passage is talking about. It's telling us that he would be the, the price for our pen by his wounds we are healed. He explains it to him. The person believes the gospel. They find water and they baptize him. And, that's, and then all of a sudden the story's over. The door's already gone. Listen, don't miss the opportunities that God gives you. Don't miss the opportunities. Pay attention. Be alert. Be watchful through your prayers. Like even as you're heading to work that morning, be praying. As you're working, every once in a while, you're praying. Be watchful in your prayer. Look for those opportunities and don't miss them. Take advantage of the opportunity and share the hope of Christ found in Scripture. This is how we live a purposeful life, a life on mission. This is our hope, even through Redeemer Community Church, is to reach a community with the gospel. And we're praying for these things. We're praying for open doors. We're praying for people to come. We're praying for opportunities to just love people, to share the hope of the gospel, that there actually can be hope in the midst of your trial and your difficulty. There's hope because Christ lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we should have died and rose again so that we could rise with him one day. Let me pray. Father, we love you so much. I thank you so much for Christ. I thank you for this wonderful book that we've been able to study over the past couple months. God, this is, this is your word. Uh, you inspired Paul to write this letter to this church who was, who was doing well, um, but was faced like any church and like any people, was faced with obstacles and challenges and uh, opposition, false teaching. Thank you for uh, using this book 2,000 years later to help us, to help us to learn more of Christ, to lead us to greater worship and adoration of Him. I pray that that would be true for each of us, that we would live a life that is on mission, it's on pur- that has a purpose. doesn't mean everyone has to be in full-time ministry. God's given each a a gift and a talent, whether that's in retirement or that's a homemaker or whether that's working in corporate America or in construction. It doesn't matter where uh, you've placed us. You've placed us in that environment to share your hope. 
hope found only in Christ. And I pray that we would be committed people to prayer, that we'd be committed to earnestly praying, persistently praying, whether it's for our missionaries all over the world, for other churches, for our church, for each other, that we would have open doors and that we'd clearly communicate the gospel. That when, when the opportunity is given, that we'll take advantage of it and share what God has done in our life or answer a question or just be there to be a person who cares and to listen. God, use us. Help us to live with purpose. You've given us this purpose. You've given us the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. May we never abdicate this responsibility. May we take it seriously. God, help us. We need your help. We need your grace. It's your power, not ours. Thank you for your spirit to convict us, to lead us, to guide us, to give us the words to say, even in those moments where we don't have the words. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this book. Thank you for allowing us to study it together. Pray it would change us. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. Help us, God. We need it. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.